Hi, I'm Tara. Hi, I'm Michelle. So welcome back to our podcast, Books and Beyond with Bound, Season 2, which as you know is our quarantine edition. And today is a very, very special day because it's our co-host Michelle's birthday. So happy, happy birthday, Michelle. Thank you so much, Tara. And today's episode is very special for me, not just because it's my birthday, but because we spoke to the multi-talented Ria Mukherjee. She's a writer, teacher. She also sings Bollywood songs. We have seen some of her videos on Facebook. Yeah, she does have a love for Bollywood and she's really inspiring. And on this episode, we spoke to her about her book, The Body Myth. So this is a book that is very different from the other fiction books that I have read. Um, Firstly, it's set in a fictional place called Suryam. And the book traverses this very complex and steamy, if I have to say so, love story between three characters, Rahil, Sara and Meera. And so each character has their own eccentricities and the book sort of explores how they operate in relationship with one another. So, and also the story covers a lot of interesting topics. So, one of the characters, um, you know, has Munchausen syndrome, which is a mental health disorder. Uh, you know, I mentioned that it's a polyamorous relationship. The book also covers philosophy um, and so many other things. So, in this episode, we found out how Ria researched and created such believable characters and this amazing relationship between the three of them. Um, you know, and it's it's interesting because oftentimes... We writers write about what they know, but in this case, she took something which was alien to her and made it her own. And on this episode, we found out how she did that. Yeah, and she also mentions, Tara, that, you know, what you know can always be expanded. Like, I never thought of that before. I always thought it was restricting. But this is so liberating and I'm sure many writers will find it liberating too. And she also talks about Pitch Wars on the episode, which is a platform that helps writers get connected to mentors. They also find agents for their work. And Ria has been my mentor for many years. So she's shared so many more tips on the episode. So let's dive in. Welcome, Ria. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Tara. Thanks, Michelle. I'm so excited. So before we begin, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your most recent book, The Body Myth? What is the book about? It's about a a grieving young widow who meets this very strange and fascinating woman named Sarah in very unusual circumstances. And she finds out that Sarah is uh, married to this guy called Rahil. And they strike a very, very intense friendship, I would like to say at first, which becomes obsessive and and that obsession intersects at various parts of their lives, their mental health, and um, even their spirituality. So it's a very, it's a very uh, insular book, because it it, it is, yes, it takes place in India, in in obviously in our contemporary times in a fictional city. But it's also very insular in the sense that it sticks to really these three characters and what happens um, with them. And um, Ria, we really liked uh, the character names, especially I really liked the name Rahil. Because I had never come across that name, but is is the name by any chance influenced by you know your fascination for Bollywood and Rahul by the character Rahul in any way? I mean, no, I'm t- totally fascinated by Bollywood, but no, it wasn't by Rahul. I think I was just trying to look at some um, I don't know names that could be. I mean, Mira, obviously, I think her family location was very uh, specific in the book, but you know, Sara and Rahul came from mixed uh, inter-religious marriages, which is Hindu and Muslim marriages and I was trying to look at you know what would they name their kids when you come from these kinds of um, different locations kind of things and they seem to be 
especially when you're looking at like a middle upper middle class kind of situation the names can be a little bit vagueish or probably leaning towards something so in my imagination rahul and sara just work you know and it, it was something that i wanted to kind of plunge into without making a big deal out of it because i also come from an interreligious marriage although my 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 location is like my mother was, uh, is catholic and father was hindu bengali hindu so um you know that that's also something that i wanted to like explore the the urban blending of such you know such marriages and out, and such social realities so you've written a book of short stories before this so what was the process of publishing both these books and and was that process different in any way way back in i think it was 2015 when i uh, published a small uh, book of short stories called transit for beginners and it was from a super small amazing press called kitab and you know trying to publish short stories like as a collection is like i mean you might as well try to also climb mount everest i had published some of them in literary magazines but kind of like that's where the full stop happens and you just you know start collecting a lot of rejections and people are like can you please write a novel instead thanks and so i was really happy when i got this kind of published um but it was at a very small scale and um but after that it took me a few years um to actually sit and write that novel which i never thought i would do by the way and i think a lot of short story writers who primarily used to write short stories probably always grappled with something like this whether like i don't think i can write a novel you know for me i think personally it was just a matter of being lazy yeah i am going through that right now exactly yeah so like in 2017 towards the end of 2000 17 I started writing this novel and you know this first draft came out really quickly and I started writing to agents and publishers and basically collected a whole pile of rejections saying this is not going to work this is not happening not interested in this um I think I collected like 40 or 50 rejections totally from publishers and agents and one day uh, an amazing agent from New York Stacy Testa from Writers House she wrote back to me and said oh I was so pulled in by the story Stacy not only signed me on as one of her writers but sold the book in like 4 or 5 months to a press called Unnamed Press in LA in the US and so the book was actually published in the US first in 2019 and uh, after that uh, it was published by Penguin India um, a few months later so I got very lucky because I got both an indie press and a mainstream publisher to publish that book and your book also deals with mental health So why and you specifically discussed the Munchausen syndrome. So why did you decide to include that in the book and what is Munchausen syndrome for those who don't know? You know, I've always been fascinated with um mental health and mental illness as we call it even though I would I think, you know, today where I'm at I feel like uh, a lot of our mental illness is actually a response to a lot of trauma and uh, oppressive structures. my past actually you know my bachelor's degree was in social work and i worked a lot in the us um in the mental health sphere there is a obsessive uh, quality to how we're portraying ourselves with mental illness and i think there's a lot to be said about that and i think when i think about the body myth i was you know coming from the perspective of you know these three people who are obviously um you know urban uh people in india they have access to certain class and caste rights um that a lot of the country doesn't have but at the same time what are they negotiating in this world and so th- these three main characters over here you have meera who is the protagonist of the book and it's in first person and you know she meets this gorgeous woman from her perspective who um is having a seizure at the park and she runs into both her and the husband under these very unusual circumstances 
and learns that Sarah is this chronically ill person. And, uh, you know, at some point, she wants to figure out whether this is all in Sarah's head that she is chronically ill. So there's two things. There's one is called Munchausen's and one is Munchausen's by proxy, uh, which is a lot more documented, um, especially in nonfiction and, and essays, if you look it up, because there are uh, people who, mostly mothers, you know, have think there's something wrong with their child. Yes, and and uh, Ria, that reminds me of uh, this Hulu series called The Act. That was the first time I got to know of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Oh my God, I was freaked out. <laughs> I, I had never heard of that before. So like these mothers take their kids constantly to the doctors, get invasive tests done all the time. Um, they're completely convinced something is wrong with them. Um, and it becomes something like therapeutic to these people to always cater to a sick child or to make sure that the child is sick to the point of where they would actually make them sick to make sure that it lines up with the story and the doctors actually believe them. And that's by proxy. And then the regular version is to the point where you are doing everything you possibly can to be hospitalized, to be under medical supervision, to be interacting with medical services. So there's a lot of research they do to figure out what they could eat, what they could do to themselves to make sure that tests would always find something irregular. Therefore, they're always ill. I, I don't think I really explore a complete finality to what Sarah is suffering from. And I've done that by purpose. And also, Ria, this reminds me of Gillian Flynn's book, Sharp Objects, you know, that uh, Munchausen syndrome by uh, proxy was also covered in that. And I really like how now at least there are TV shows, there are books that talk about uh, mental health. I want to know how did the mentoring process really help you in figuring out whether you are doing justice to portraying these um, issues in your book? Because I know you must have done research, you must have spoken to people and you would have tried your best. But then I'm sure the, you know, writerly insecurities uh, pop up somehow. So how did mentoring help you with that? The book wouldn't be what it was with, without the mentoring that I got. Because yes, I wrote that draft. I did the research. I wrote the entire manuscript. But then, you know, when it came down to somebody else's eyes who knew what they were doing, right, in terms of craft, to pull out every chapter and say, well, here's where's the narrative arc over here? And, you know, why is this not filled up? A good mentor is someone who allows you the freedom of, you know, having your idiosyncrasies when you write but also calling you out where you've been lazy or where you haven't thought about something from the reader's perspective. So Ria, you found your mentor through Pitch Wars. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about what is Pitch Wars and a little bit about your mentor? So my mentor was uh, as a writer called Kristin Lepionka. She is a, a prime mystery writer. Um, she's Ohio-based in the U.S. And she was freaking amazing um, for the body myth. I mean, it, because of her, it got to a shape where, you know, Stacy, my agent, just took the book right up. And it was very competitive to get into Pitch Wars. I urge a lot of uh, young writers who have finished a, uh, at least one draft of the manuscript to kind of um, get into Pitch Wars. If you look it up, there's a website. Um, they're mainly on Twitter. Um, and basically what happens is you submit your manuscript and you kind of choose four or five mentors um, that you would like to technically work with if you get in. And I think there's like 3,000 or 4,000 people who apply every year and I think like 100 get in and you get assigned one of the mentors who is usually a published author or a person in um, the literary uh, industry, like an agent or an editor. It was very, it was exceedingly tough. It was like two, three months of like really hard work. But I'm so thankful for it. And it also now helps me write my second novel with so much more ease because I'm thinking about all the things that 
I learned on that writing the first novel in terms of the pure technicality of it. Ooh, what is your second novel about, Ria? You have to tell us. Ha ha ha. The second novel. <laughs> I, I'll tell you that the second novel is still also going to be talking about a series of love stories, but through that, it's going to uh, bring in a lot of um, themes that are, you know, that are resonating very hard with me now, politically, um, in terms of gender, in terms of love, in terms of sex. What's exciting for me to be writing about it right now is that we're looking at a character, but through the several love stories of them. That reminds me of the show uh, Love Life. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. So it's about one character and the several love stories and the romances that she goes through. So you might like it. No, even I haven't. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And I also, I'm really excited about your next novel. I love literary love stories. Like, I don't really read a lot of rom-coms, but I like, you know, when it's uh, put into literary fiction, which is what I what I generally read. And your book, Body Myth, was really interesting because it was about a love triangle and it got really intense. So, you know, how did this premise come to you and why did you want to explore? Mira ends up falling in love with Sarah, but also Sarah's husband. And so I guess we can call that a triangle, but at some point they all know. So, um, and they're okay with it. So, which makes it technically polyamorous, even though I wasn't really thinking about that term when I was writing the book. Yeah. So honestly, what I was trying to do was uh, figure out what characters do, what people do, what we all do uh, as a response to grief. And I find grief is this really interesting um, emotion, especially when you have the rug pulled off from your feet. Um, as Mira did, the main character in the book, because she, you know, married someone she loved. She had this regular life. And then, boom, in seven months into her marriage, her husband is killed randomly in an accident. And I think in this space where everything that you thought was in control, where you have this narrative for your life, right? Like you you finish your education, you get a job, you get married, and then you just think like life is set. And then when that completely obliterated, suddenly you don't have, you have this chance of not responding to the world as it has told you to be because it's taken away so much or what you thought was everything was taken away from you. And here's a space where you can completely reconsider it. But before that, there's so much of grief, there's so much of trauma, there's so much of crushing pain. And and that's the space where Mira was kind of responding to. She wasn't really thinking about social norms or, you know, the ideas of what she was supposed to be doing. And therefore, because of that, um, she allowed herself to expand her worldview. So we might call it a love triangle or polyamory. I'm calling it a response to grief. That was one of my most, uh, you know, biggest takeaways. Like, how do you deal with grief? I just loved the way Mira, uh, you know, responded to all of that. And it reminded me of, you know, my own uh, best friend's death. Like, you know, when, when, you, when you're faced with something that is very difficult, you just don't know how to react. You're just numb. So I just loved how you explored that through the book. We don't really see that in fiction often. You set your book in a fictional place, which is Surya. So we are intrigued to know that why did it, you know, um, why was it necessary for your story to be set in a fictional place? Did you see that happening in Indian fiction or was there a lack of it? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. And a lot of people have actually asked me this question. I'll tell you why. The reason is that I didn't want to set it in Bangalore because you know, fortunately or unfortunately, Bangalore is probably the only, uh, you know, urban Indian city that I'm most familiar with. And if I started writing it with, you know, Bangalore in the in my head, I, I think a certain element of the mythical quality to the book, and if I set it in the with the city that I'm most familiar with, and set, use the word Bangalore, 
I think it would have just crushed the idea of this world of Meera, Sarah and Rahil. It would have become over familiar for me, A. And two, I feel like, you know, Bangalore just sounds jarring to me for a story that was set, um, that was so insular in this kind of uh, imaginary world. Um, and so I wanted to be, I wanted it to be a city that, you know, most urban people could kind of relate to, especially in India, like brass tacks, Indian hot mess of an urban uh, reality and without putting a specific name to it. So what advice would you have for somebody, you know, who wants to write about something that they maybe don't have first-hand experience with? That's a great question. It's a really important question because it's, it's something that can paralyze a lot of writers and, you know, technically the whole world should be our oyster. But I think at the same point that if anything you write, no matter what you're writing, whether it's science fiction or literary fiction, um, everything is political in that way. They say, write what you know, but then you can always expand what you know and you can always challenge what you know. But I think it's important to understand the lens that we're writing from. Um, you know, even if we're writing about the bad things in the world, whatever, like I'm just saying like a blanket statement, the bad things in the world. Are we glorifying it? Are we romanticizing it? Is it coming from the right hierarchy of space that we occupy? Um, I think these are really pertinent questions to ask. It's not that we can't write about anything, but we have to really worry about the lens. Are you writing it from a perspective where you are talking for other people? Are you writing from it from a space where you just didn't research enough? Um, so these are, I think that self-awareness is really, really important. And if you have that self-awareness, you also understand the lens that you're trying to study the story with. Because I think, uh, you know, that is creativity, right? If you do end up writing autobiographical fiction or semi-autobiographical fiction, at the end of the day, you are not exploring your potential as a creative person. So I really think it's important to step out of your comfort zone and try something. I also know that you have dealt with over 300 rejections for your book, The Body Myth, before it was picked up. Uh, by Pichuar. So how do you deal with rejection? And and what what tips do you, um, you know, offer to writers, especially debut writers who, you know, just uh, get rejections on a daily basis? How do they deal with it? I've got 300 re rejections probably in my literary career, not the body myth. The body myth, I got, probably got about 40. The thing is, rejection is a part of your writing. And I think it's it's surprising to me that like a lot of writers are still very surprised by this. Um, because how can you think that something that is so subjective in a world which is so, you know, subjective in terms of picking up something and putting it out there in the world, uh, it is you are going to be rejected if you're writing. But you have to trust, first of all, a few things. One, that you're, you're, you have a voice, that you want to put this voice out, that you are working on your craft and you are being consistent in terms of putting that out there. If you are not getting rejected, you are not writing enough or you are not putting things out there consistently because rejection is a byproduct of being a writer. It has to be your lover. It has to be your companion throughout your literary career. It is not just because even if when you get published, you're still going to get rejected after that. Now I'm writing my second book. I can guarantee you I'm going to get a few rejections. Things get rejected so often and then when they finally do get published, like your book, Body Myth, it gets such a positive response. You have so many readers, people love the book. And then you wonder, oh, what was it that made this book get rejected in the first place? Why was it rejected? The world works in very funny ways. So Ria, you know, you also run a business, uh, Right Leela Right, which is a content studio. So how do you manage your time? Because I know that that is, you know, running a business and growing something can also be your baby and then you have writing. So how do you switch between the two and which is more dear to you? 
I uh, run uh, Right Lila Right with my business partner Kalabati Majumdar, and she's the designer part. So it's also a design and content studio. Um, and it was a very chosen um, outlook in life that we start a small, very small boutique company. We're just four people in the company, and we're going to be seven years in May. You know, we've somehow decided it, it's also a lifestyle we chose. Like we're not going to go big. We are going to concentrate on exactly what we do best, what our core skills are. Take a certain amount of clients, even if we do struggle, and have like six-hour workdays, which are all very important values for us to sustain and keep within that company. And you know, that's what actually allows me to have the flexibility to write, and to have the flexibility to kind of engage with the writing community, and you know, do a whole host of other things. So it's actually a very chosen symbiotic um, thing to do. And yes, it has a lot of pitfalls. There's no regularity with money. There is, you know, some months. We just have to like figure shit out. Um, but I wouldn't have chosen it any other way. Um, and I think I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to have built that. It's it's really fascinating to know about your journey, Ria. I mean, not just as a writer, now even as an entrepreneur, you know, because I think both of them, writing and entrepreneurship, has a lot of unpredictability. And I think you really um, rock it. So, um, Ria, I, I don't think many of our listeners know uh, exactly how we met. So, I actually got to know of Ria's work online. Oh my gosh, let me tell the story. Because it's really important. This is really important because for me, from as a writing perspective, I think this is almost what seven, eight years ago at least. Yes, yes, I think a decade. Yes, yeah, almost a decade for sure. Um, uh, yeah, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. I was putting out a lot of short stories, um, getting rejected or left and right. But then I had made a few publications. I used to put them up on Facebook, like, "Yay, look, I got published and stuff like that." Michelle actually was one of my first actual readers like the stranger who was online and who actually read my work and said oh I love these short stories and she would actually post like have you read Ria Mukherjee's stories and I was like oh my god somebody, somebody <laughs> I'm so embarrassed now somebody <laughs> said that yeah somebody said that about me and it was like you know and it's so and I think it's also great to know that because people like Michelle and I and it makes it makes me so happy that Michelle is now a part of Tara, what you built with Bound and all that, because it's just so, it just makes so much of sense. Because Michelle's always been someone who has been invested in the writing community, um, not just because, she, yes, she's a writer, but she shares about other people. She encourages other people. She motivates other people. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more with that. Right? And she's seen my journey over the decade to, you know, being someone who had published a couple of stories online to publishing a small book to having a big presence with a big novel with Penguin, you know, and so she's seen that complete journey with me and she herself has bloomed as a writer and taken that whole idea of rejection, you know, on her back and persisting and writing and publishing like crazy um, online. And, you know, now it's a matter of time before her book is out. And so I wanted to know, you know, your thoughts on literary magazines, Ria, because all of like I discovered all of your work, you know, most of your work through online magazines. I remember I had kept a list of <laughs> all of your short stories and I kept revisiting them. So how important do you think literary magazines are for a writer to really, you know, discover their voice or to build a portfolio before they have a book out? It's really important because, you know, there's a lot of channels where people we are publishing, right? Even online. Nowadays, people are publishing on Instagram and Facebook and it's great. It's, it's, it's a great space. But it's also important, I think, to put yourself through that test of subjectivity. I'm not trying to say that, uh, you know, just because uh, it's a literary magazine, uh, you, you know, you get a leg up. It's also putting yourself through the system of saying, here's my subjective work. 
it's a place where you're trying your uh, to see how consistent you are and how you start to develop a tolerance towards rejection because believe me if you're submitting to literary magazines you are getting rejected 100% especially if you're you know especially if you are really submitting to good quality literary magazines where there are a board of editors diverse editors who are really trying to publish fresh work um and make room for new writers then definitely you are going to be getting rejected um and it also starts for you to open up your own networks with editors and uh, other writers encourage other writers right because of this like i mean our relationship is kind of based on that so community is so essential um to being a writer because it's such a isolating task otherwise um so it's uh, i think literary magazines are a great space to kind of build your own recognition your own um your own name with other editors and the writing larger writing community who's paying attention to these things it, when you go to an editor with a book you also are telling them that listen i've been around the block i've been writing consistently i have been putting stuff out there i even have a few publications out there um and it just helps your own sense of uh, self as a writer and confidence as a writer riya i'm always amazed by the number of ideas that writers have and the number of stories um, you know the writers like yourselves put out you you lived in the us before moving to india uh, and i'm sure the writing scene must have been very different over there so can you tell us a little bit about the difference in the attitude towards writing and literature in the us and in india you know a lot of stuff i feel like in the obviously in the indian english scene of writing is now merging because of globalization but you know i was when i was uh, there it was very us centric in terms of literary magazine in terms of how they wanted to hear voices from people of color uh, first of all i mean we all grew up during the age where you know there was uh, a lot of uh, indian diasporic writing was how a lot of the west accessed india so that was like bharati mukherjee and jhumpa lehri and you know uh, things like that which were talking about mostly the the first generation indians and their identity issues um and then india was also therefore very exoticized and very uh, one kind of layer to it um which of course i think india still struggles with because there's still a lot of lack of self awareness with indian writers themselves in terms of how they they are um writing about um this country in context to a global to a global audience but that said um I felt like there was a lot more pressure for me to write about India in a certain way when I was in the US um and obviously when I'm in India it's much more liberating for me to write about India as I see it because India has a million and million stories and you're just telling one one layer of it one idea of it one perspective of it and you have to have that self awareness when you're talking about a country especially like India you know I did my MFA and I was very privileged and lucky to do my MFA but I feel like now in 2020 there's enough resources online enough communities willing to engage where i think it's a very unnecessary degree also if that's what you want to do there are a lot of ways to do it a very interesting perspective there are a lot of collectives there's a lot of workshops you guys do um such great work right um and if people can consistently do things like this and take it with that same seriousness that's i mean that is an mfa in general there's nothing special <laughs> about an mfa yes. it's the same thing it's just having that time to have discourse and ra- uh, read about texts and and discover more diverse writers and ideas about the world and surprise yourself with what has already been written because believe me there's so many things that I'm still discovering today I'm like wow you know so it's it's all about that I just love the way you look at literature and you look at you know the hunger for learning through a very different lens 
So, you know, talking about the hunger for learning, because I myself don't have a background in literature, what I've done is like, I try to read as much as I can. And I know that you are an avid reader yourself. So which were the books that influenced you when you were writing The Body Myth? Were there any books that you were reading while you were writing the book? I don't think I was actually reading anything in particular when I was writing, because when I get into writing, I'm just writing. But in general, you know, I've always been kind of drawn to slightly gothic ideas about uh, literature. And I think I, I read very, when I say diversely, I mean, I used to read, every, I mean, I grew up reading like back-to-back covers of Reader's Digest and Tintin and Jackie Collins and Shobade. And then I moved into uh, literary fiction, like, uh, and you know, the first picks were like Jhumpaleri and then uh, Orhan Pamuk and um, uh, Murakami. And then, you know, over the last couple of years, I've been very drawn to authors like Otesha uh, Moshpag, who wrote uh, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Um, and then there is My Sister, the Serial Killer, which I know you really enjoyed. But those are the themes that I really kind of enjoy a lot from a perspective uh, of a feminist, gothic kind of perspective, contemporary. I, I'm a very contemporary reader. I can't, for some reason, really get into classics at all. And so that's probably my like my big, biggest regret as a writer because I just can't get into it. I don't know what to do about it. I'm a very contemporary reader. I read a lot of nonfiction as well. So nonfiction has also driven me in terms of um, uh, and especially um, memoirs because I, you know, uh, one of my favorite memoirs is The Glass uh, Castle and it's about a dysfunctional family and uh, it's just so beautifully told. And uh, so, yeah, I I guess what I would say is that, you know, there are a lot of readers out there who are very distinct about what they read and how they read and how they interpret it. I'm not like that. It's And I think I have the same approach to music. It's just so random and it's so uh, all over the place. And I guess maybe maybe that reflects in my own writing. I'm not sure. But I like that because I like the fact that you you know you pick up what interests you and you have a varied reading style I think I I can really relate to that because I read just about anything under the sun you know whatever appeals to me in that moment uh, and I also read my year of rest and relaxation and absolutely uh, absolutely loved it because there's so many people writing so many compelling and interesting things and we're just getting started so it's a very exciting time and also I think a great time to also acknowledge that in Indian writing not including obviously English but in regional languages, there have, and because we're getting access to reading more translations today, you can see that India has always had amazing boundary pushing literature in different languages this whole time. It's just that, you know, whatever we had access to in English came from a very, either responding to from a very Western lens or, you know, wanting to know India through a very Western lens, which is what we were catering to. And now that is completely, you know, gone. So I think it's an exciting time to be an Indian writer writing in English also, because those boundaries are being pushed. So let's move on to our last section, which is a rapid fire round. <laughs> the US or Bangalore? Bangalore. Writing or playing with your dogs, Nimbu and Henna? I think both are codependent on each other. If I'm not playing with my dogs, can't write. Both. Okay. Short stories or novels? Nowadays, novels. One creative habit that you're embarrassed about? I drink too much black coffee while I'm writing. Like too much. Like sick levels. What makes you laugh? Uh, d- dark uh, jokes. Like ba- baby in a blender joke. <laughs> I don't know if I should do that. <laughs> and what makes you upset? Uh, apathy. Okay, so one new habit that you picked up in the pandemic. I think it would have to be sitting and writing in the morning, which I never did before. I was always an evening writer. 
um and it's been discovering the morning i'm yeah i'm just not a morning person and i i'm still struggling to find a really productive routine um in the pandemic but uh it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you ria and uh, tara and i were just like waiting to record with you because we have loved talking to you in the retreats and we just couldn't wait to yeah. do you're such a fun person <laughs> oh thank you thank you you guys are you guys are an absolute delight to talk to you guys anytime love working with you guys love talking with you guys tara that was such a treat i mean we all are in different places you know goa bombay bangalore but we recorded as if we are just sitting across from each other i just wish that didn't end yeah yeah really and it's so amazing you know meeting riyad our retreats and all of those things so having these sort of conversations is fabulous but i'm really looking forward to our next episode as well because we are going to be speaking to another really special author and we were a little star struck when we uh when we got her to agree to be interviewed by us a little is an understatement <laughs> <laughs> yeah so without further ado it is tahira kashyap she <laughs> has been writing and making films and she's recently written a book called the 12 commandments of being a woman so once again if you haven't checked out this book you must check it out we laughed throughout the book there were so many funny incidents and she has been so candid about all aspects of her life including her love life with ayushwan kharana so tune in yeah she's opened up like never before and as always we are on instagram at bound podcast please do follow us and let us know what you think of our episodes and we are always looking for book recommendations bye until next time see you